0: From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, August 20th. At the train tracks, a man wearing shiny black shoes, a dark navy vest, and prim tie is unfurling a rectangle of red carpet. He's bent over, carefully straightening what will soon separate shoes from dusty gravel. With a sense of urgency, his similarly attired companions rush forward and stick a couple flags just above his head, the red, white, and blue barely moving in the windless midday heat. With a final flourish, navy blue umbrellas materialize from their fingertips, popping open small domes of shade to serve as protection against the unrelenting sun. These uniformed people, officially called train hosts, are just some of the many employees of Canadian-based rail tour company Rocky Mountaineer. This is a new route from Denver to Moab, and they're preparing for their first load of passengers to disembark. About 20 of us kind of stand here, near the intersection of Highway 313, the road to Canyonlands, and Highway 191, the road that can take you clear to Mexico. There are people here from Rocky Mountaineer Corporate, the local Chamber of Commerce, some hotel representatives, and Derek from Real Green Clean. Um, The people are going to be unloading and then I'm just going to hop on real quick. I guess we'll start in the bathrooms, get it all ready for the next load at two o'clock I believe so. Derek is flanked by his cleaning supplies, spray bottles, wipes, a vacuum. He, like all of us here, Hosts holding their umbrellas, outfitters idling their vans, bus attendants studying their various signs are waiting for the passengers. Yeah, yeah, get it done. As of two weeks ago, this mini economy didn't exist. This gravel lot didn't exist. These two facts, plus the 10-car Navy and Gold passenger train waiting to disembark, is adding to the bizarre feeling of this moment.
1: And the secret between you and I mm-hmm. and this... Microphone. I put some pennies on the tracks.
0: Lindsay O'Neill is one of a handful of curious onlookers who passed the train on the road and decided they would come to Moab to wait for it. I spoke to another person who came up here to, quote, take its picture. Another who told me they'd been waving at the train since Glenwood Springs. These are train people. Waving at the train is very much a tradition for us up in in Canada, where we have our other three routes, and we expect we'll see much of the same here. So, yeah. (laughs) Nicole Ford could also be called a train person. As the director of communications for a Rocky Mountaineer, she knows all of the acronyms of their various routes, the rest of them based in Canada. FPW is First Passage to the West. RGR is Rainforest to Gold Rush. And JTC is Journey Through the Clouds. Denver to Moab. Rockies to the Red Rocks. Everybody
1: has to have a TLA. Three-letter acronym.
0: Chris Woods is the guest operations manager for the RTR. He stands out in a bright orange safety vest, which I take means he's allowed to get closer to the train than the rest of us.
1: Stay back at least 10 feet at at all times, okay?
0: Chris doesn't have to follow this rule. I've seen him flit about announcing the train's arrival. Go! Go! then get close to the conductor and the tracks. The train has to pull forward, blocking the intersection of 313, so the locomotives can disengage. For us here on the sidelines, the process is about six minutes of waiting, staring at the train and its various compartments. Two locomotives. Okay. got the generator car, we have our uh, crew car and lounge car, and then we have the guest domes where you can see the the windows, are actually the oversized windows that go up the side and kind of arch over the top. (laughs) Those are Tickets on the Denver to Glenwood Springs to Moab route begin at $1,600. Nicole tells me it's all-inclusive from the accommodations along the route to onboard meals and glass-domed seating areas. Finally, passengers emerge under the Navy umbrellas onto the red carpet and almost directly into the five waiting air-conditioned buses. I managed to pull passenger Gary aside, who looks up and notices the red rock rims behind me looming so large that he describes them as a mountain.
1: Looking at the, at the, the mountains, you, I could look at that for hours. Yeah, that's really beautiful. I'm Gary. And I'm Larry. We've never seen so many wonderful views from Denver all the way on the train, you know, to, to here. And we're going to do some touring around Moab, and then we'll go back to Denver and go back to Chicago. You know, it's something that everybody should do at least once.
0: (laughs) The communications team tells me there are 175 passengers disembarking today. Before I know it, most of them are already in the buses. I spot orange vest Chris again, trying to usher some colorful stragglers into them. They're wearing happy birthday tiaras and have their own train whistle. Oh, we're having our 70th birthday on the train. Here we go. (laughs) All right, ladies.
2: I love it here. Quick photo, and then we need to get the buses moving.
0: (laughs) The next set of passengers will soon get loaded onto the train and head to Denver. 147 of them, according to the team's numbers. Then this space returns to being a gravel lot. Rocky Mountaineer and Grand County are currently in a dispute about this lot. It's all about who has the regulatory authority and liability for, quote, peripheral railroad activity. Especially because if this route is successful, this nondescript space may become more of a built-out transfer station. A decision from the U.S. District Court might not come until the winter. In the meantime, both parties reached a temporary agreement allowing this train tour to move forward. So for now, it's here. And as the weeks wear on, seeing the luxury passenger train might become a little less surreal and blend in a little more to Moab's overall tourism landscape. As one of the train people or fellow onlookers put it, this is it now. We're on the list of Gotta Go See It. And now, the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. The city council will make a decision next week about raising the property tax rate from zero. The Times Independence, Doug McMurdo, previews their thoughts.
2: I, I think we need to uh, go right to property taxes. The okay. city council on Monday held a workshop. It took about two and a half hours for them to get through it. They discussed a, a wide range of budget issues, uh, where the money is going, where they can save money. That went on for about two hours and 15 minutes, a real civil Discussion okay. um, and the city staff was there to, to answer what they needed to answer. Uh, at the behest of Mayor Emily Niehaus, the final 15 minutes, though, is where this story focuses on, and it's uh, uh, basically everybody uh, straw poll kind of where they stood on the mm-hmm. property taxes. And I'm not sure how things would have worked out had they voted Monday because we've got um, a definite yes mm-hmm. and two maybe yeses and two definite noes.
1: Hmm.
2: And yeah, one thing I do know is that if it does somehow pass, it's not going to be at the highest 3.3 million mark, which I Uh think is what got everybody so upset because that would be such a big bite uh, out of the budget. So not really sure what they're going to do on Tuesday, August 24th. But I do know that if the vote was taken uh, Tuesday, it very well could have ended up... uh, Three to two, but really not sure yay or nay um, how that three two would go. The one outlier though was uh, uh, Council Member Kaylin Jones, okay. who, uh, you know, recognizing the deep financial uh, budget peril that the city is in. I think he would probably uh, he wanted he wanted to go for the higher amount, okay. not not three point three. I mm-hmm. want to be very clear, sure, not three point three, but probably two million. At one point, I think I quote him in the story, uh, "the two million dollar question," is, is how he put it. So that was kind of very revelatory.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So it's going to be an interesting conversation on Tuesday. Is all, all right. I can
0: say, I know. Uh, well, thanks for that update. That's a an interesting preview to what could happen on Tuesday as the council decides what they're going to do about changing the property tax rate. Doug, there's more in the paper. Where else would you like to take us?
2: Well, the, uh, the table is set for the city council election. And we're, it's going to be a big one. It's a crowded race, as, uh, as we like to say. There are, I believe, seven candidates for mayor and six candidates for two Council seats that are open. Mayor Emily Nehouse announced a while ago that she was not going to seek a second term, and so did Mike Duncan. Mm. And uh, Karen uh, Guzman Newton had revealed, you know, off the record, she wasn't quite sure where she was going to go. But she told me a few weeks ago that she probably was not going okay. to re up for another term. So it's pretty much a wide open race, you know. Right. And also just a re- reminder to everybody that we're doing rank ranked choice voting. So there won't be a primary election day is in November and you pick your from one to seven with the mayor, mm-hmm. most favorite to least favorite in the same with the city council. So that should be an interesting process as well.
0: As the Times Independent put it in here, there is no primary voters will literally rank candidates in order of their preference. The goal is to have a clear winner someone who has a majority of support.
2: Yeah, one of the benefits I think is that it's going to take a uh, hopefully hopefully uh-huh. It's going to take uh, all the negativity out of campaigning. City council elections don't really get no, all that personal, no. anyway.
0: Typically, no.
2: No, but um, if only we could do that at the national level. Exactly.
0: Exactly. Okay. Now, wh- what's next? What's next, Doug? What else would you like to highlight?
2: Well, I think we need to talk about Grand County real quick. They are seeking to uh, possibly expand Arch's footprint, make a make the park larger. Uh, the the reason for this is, Arches is surrounded by Bureau of Land Management and uh, Sitla mm-hmm. land and they want to um, expand it basically to put to rest any future oil and gas exploration maneuvers by by that. They just want to take that off the table. Uh, That's one of the reasons. There's other reasons. It's a really interesting story by reporter uh, Carter Poppy.
0: Right. As Carter reports, the commissioners are working on uh, getting a bill together that they're hoping that John Curtis, our U.S. representative, will sponsor, that deals with a number of public lands issues in Grand County, but maybe the most clear or the splashiest would be an Arches expansion. Right.
2: And there's also a push to um, uh, protect a whole lot of square miles of Grand right. County outside of Arches. Right. And there's even the possibility of maybe trading some of our land for for this. So right. we'll see what, what comes down the pike.
0: Now, Doug, do you feel like talking about trains? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I love trains. <laughs> I, I actually have a whole bunch of train photos on Wikimedia Commons.
0: You do? I do. Wait, just just random trains?
2: Yeah, just random trains. <laughs> Got to yeah. look that up. Yeah, my my real obsession with photography is the moon okay. uh, in all phases, but especially mm-hmm. when it's a full moon. Uh-huh. But um, trains are a close second. So.
0: Okay, well, it was no surprise then to see you out at the the first voyage of Rocky Mountaineer when they were dropping off passengers. And there's a great train photo that you took on the front page of the TI this week.
2: Yes, I think it is a pretty good photo. That was um, a pretty neat experience. You know, I was trying Uh to, to look at it. Um, They get off of that train and they get bused into town and they get their hotel. They don't have to get a rental car, but I assume they're going to get a rental car or this is definitely going to be uh, an economic boost. They're going to do uh, three months this year. And then they 'll do seven months in twenty twenty two the cost at first, my eyes bugged open when I looked at the prices from twelve hundred to seventeen hundred mm-hmm. for the, the two day trip day and a half. But what they get out of it and the cost of everything else these days' it's, mm-hmm. it's almost reasonable i can 't afford it, and i don't know anybody who can, <laughs> but um, clearly people did because quite a few of them uh-huh. uh, disembarked off of the off of that train and Now when I was standing there, molly i, I I thought, it, you know, 150, 160 years ago when Uh the railroad started going across the West, it must have been so cool. Uh First, the tracks get laid. Uh All those people move up the track, you know, Uh to the next town. And then the train, the first train comes bringing passengers. That must have been really Uh exciting.
0: I would say that was kind of the bizarre feeling because we were out in a place that, you know, doesn't yeah. see passenger train yeah. service. And then all of a sudden there's this little bustling uh, uh, economy, I guess. With yeah. The, buses we, the and- only
2: thing missing were women in petticoats and men dressed uh-huh. like Abe Lincoln. Now,
0: before you go, you know, there's another big front page story on the Times Independent that I'm hoping you'll just mention uh, masks and Grand County.
2: Yes. School started Thursday and HMK students, elementary school students, because they're too young <laughs> to get vaccinated they are required to wear masks for at least the first 30 days of school Mm -hmm. of the academic year Mm -hmm. Uh, and that could either be rescinded or renewed in a month's time depending on where we are with COVID and this Mm -hmm. whole Delta variant and uh, and, uh, you know Grand County remains in high in the high transmission categories so uh, it's a good idea.
0: Doug McMurdo, editor of the Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at MoabTimes.com. Properties around Grand County have experienced damage from flooding in recent weeks. Maggie McGuire of the Moab Sun News explains how local infrastructure is overwhelmed.
1: It's perhaps a little new, but it's not unforeseeable. Before Moab put a bunch of infrastructure in place... These kind of flood events were Mm -hmm. actually like far more common, obviously. You know, if you talk to any sort of old timer, Mm -hmm. (laughs) they have, you know, long stories about, you know, Pack Creek and Mill Creek going over Main Street and and washing out roads, Mm -hmm. you know, fairly commonly. Mm -hmm. But now we have all of this infrastructure to sort of control Mm -hmm. that. And one of the interesting things is not only the increase in just kind of, you know, these, these large storm events that we're having, but also, you know, the recent Pat Creek wildfire has created an area that is just ripe for these sort of destructive flood events with all of this water running over burn scarred areas Mm -hmm. that don't absorb any moisture they don't have any sort of vegetation to help slow that water down and Mm -hmm. not only that, that water is then picking up like ash, soot and and debris and just charging down the waterway, you know, fairly close to to where folks live, you Mm -hmm. know I think that a lot of people who perhaps don't live in the the Pat Creek area or in one of these, you know, floodways which I don't, and I was actually really surprised by these photos you know, this is like, you know Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is like, you know, two, three feet of water. This Mm -hmm. is moving, you know, a water that has the the power to move, you know, thousands of pounds of equipment. That's a real force of nature, you would say.
0: Now, did Rachel find that, you know, the age of our infrastructure is contributing to these problems? Well, yeah, and
1: that's a a nationwide problem. Uh, An acquaintance of mine who you know, does, does infrastructure work pointed out that for concrete, Mm -hmm. the, the average age that that concrete would need to be replaced is like 50 to 60 years. If you're a contractor out there, feel free to email me and correct (laughs) me. And like, you know, we're coming up on that number of years from when we had like this large investment in in infrastructure projects, in right. bridges, in mm-hmm. channels, you know, in all of this um public investment in infrastructure. and so now we're in a position where we're looking at this and sort of like kind of everything needs replaced at once. And I think in some of the cases that Rachel found, you know historically once this infrastructure is mm-hmm. in place, there wasn't often a feeling of urgency about mm-hmm. flooding events. Some of these plans, you know, she found actually just kind of never even got followed because these instances were so were so rare, Mm, you know, that um, she found a couple of things that basically, you know, were well thought out plans.
0: Mm -hmm. But everyone was like, well, that just doesn't
1: happen that much. So I'm not going to we're
0: we're not going to spend the money, the time to correct it because, hey, it doesn't really happen that often. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And, you know, here we are. Mm -hmm. Uh, It worked for a while, but Mm -hmm. maybe not so much anymore.
0: Now, we know Moab City uh, has acknowledged all of these um, infrastructure challenges Mm -hmm. that um, they want to tackle and address. Mm -hmm. I think Rachel also looked around in the county Mm -hmm. as well. Anything to mention there? Yeah. And, you know,
1: Chris Baird noted that particularly for like homeowners associations and like these um, plans and covenants that have been in place for, you know, stormwater drainage and and Mm -hmm. flood events you know, looking at these plants that kind of, again, just haven't been followed. Right. You know, um, Chris Baird did acknowledge that as far as the county goes, that looking into those um, those HOAs and all of that code enforcement has to be a priority going mm-hmm. forward.
0: Yeah, okay. Anything else to mention from um, this infrastructure-related article in the Moab Sun News? I don't know. You know, one of the things
1: about living out here, you know, everyone is like, yeah, I just love being in nature. And I think this is one of those interesting places, particularly with the the impact of the wildfire on this this human made system that it Mm -hmm. kind of shows that, you know, we're as much a a part of nature as anything else. You can't really can't really separate out human Mm -hmm. infrastructure from You know, Mm -hmm. the outdoors quite as neatly as you would Mm -hmm. want to.
0: Now, this next article, Maggie, I'm hoping you'll highlight is about um, some census results that came down. Um, Now, the U.S. Census is going to release more detailed data later this year, but they did release some population numbers and the Sun's new reporter covered it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. We said goodbye to our wonderful reporter, Anastasia Huffam, who's been who's been with us for over a year. Mm-hmm. Um, she was with us during a, a gap year, a pandemic related mm-hmm. gap year um, and had to to return to her studies. Um, and we'll definitely miss her. But mm-hmm. now um, we're really happy to welcome Allison Harford, who's just Honestly, like, absolutely killing it. I feel like she's friends with half the town already. I'm embarrassed. I'm like, oh, no, she knows more people than me. She's now. been here for,
0: like, a week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
1: That's great. Yeah, but one of the things that she's was really interested in was, you know, trying to take uh-huh. this data and, and just make it a little bit more accessible and a little bit more interesting and in pulling out those, those little uh-huh. cherries.
0: So I know that Grand County's population did experience some growth mm-hmm. over – 10 years from 2010 to 2020 and that's kind of significant because the rest of the region it wasn't quite like that
1: yeah absolutely um almost every county in our our surrounding region lost population during Mm -hmm. that same time period you know, Grand County compared to Utah as a whole, we're small pickings, um, because yeah. Utah was actually, as far as this census goes, the, the fastest growing state in the nation. Mm-hmm. And that's about a rate of growth of, about, I think, around 18 percent. Grand County's was a little under 5 percent. But in terms of like how the community has changed in the last 10 years, mm-hmm. how they how we feel the impact of that population growth in addition to the Mm -hmm. the growth of just visitation it's also really interesting just thinking about the the challenges that folks doing the census had to have this year and whether that you know has skewed the data in
0: in any sort of way it's it's hard to tell it's really hard to tell and it's hard to tell when we you know this is we're talking about our resident population yes yeah um we also have you know a growing number of visitors which which could probably add to that 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 pressure of feeling like, um, our town is, is more crowded than Mm -hmm. perhaps it actually is.
1: Absolutely. And you know, you and I have often spoke about, we also have a community of folks who aren't quite transient and Mm -hmm. aren't quite residents. Um, and that's also
0: like an interesting and complicating factor. Mm -hmm. I do want to mention Maggie before you go. there's a slight change coming to scheduling oh, yeah. at the Mubs and News. If you're listening to this program, you're probably an avid reader of our local media. So um, <laughs> listeners and readers will be be interested to know about this change.
1: Yeah. So one of the things that has been, we've actually talked about mm-hmm. a few times, mm-hmm. and it has been, I'd say, a source of not like frustration, but, but consideration you know, I've talked to a lot of our readers and actually some elected officials as well, was the issue of covering local government. So the way that the paper has previously been structured was that after a public government meeting of, you know, the city council or the county commission, one of our reporters basically has to just like write that article as fast as possible because it's going in the next edition, which is just hours away, essentially. So what we're doing is we're moving our press deadline just back. Our newspaper will come out Friday morning, and that just gives us 12 to 16 hours that uh-huh. are so important, particularly when we have these six-hour meetings that uh-huh. are about budget issues that, you know, people in our community actually really uh-huh. care about and, and need to know uh-huh. not just what happened, but accurately, what uh-huh. does that mean for me?
0: So readers and listeners can expect the moves and news on newsstands Friday morning yep. next week. Absolutely. <laughs> Maggie McGuire, editor and publisher of the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. And that's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters about their latest stories of the Moab area. Find all the pieces mentioned today in the show notes of the news at kzmu.org or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.